Amen and good morning. If anybody out there has found anything better than the blood of Jesus, let me know. Oh, praise the Lord. I love to sing that song and what a wonderful beginning to our time together today to be reminded of the one who gave everything so we could have life eternal and life abundant. And so in the name of the Lord Jesus, I welcome you this morning to worship here at Cross Timber. Um, we are thankful that you are here. We're thankful to be here. And as of about 45 minutes ago, we're thankful to have lights in the sanctuary, and I'm thankful for those that are diligently knowledgeable in areas that I am not. And so we are glad that you're here, we're glad we have power, and we trust that because there is power in the blood that God has a plan and a purpose for you today. 
you're visiting, it is our pleasure that you've joined us. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. And if you are sitting out there in the pew and you've been here many, many times, I hope for one Sunday you can endure being in a little different spot. Um, we've got longer rows. In fact, I kind of like it. If you haven't sat on the side seats, you might ask Deborah and Stephen and Dawn or, or Kim over there or Deborah. It's kind of an interesting perspective to be able to look across and see everybody in the congregation. So you may come in next week and the chairs are facing one another um, so we can see each other face to face. You never know. Um, but we are glad to be here. As we saw in the video earlier, isn't it wonderful that God is still doing work all around North America and we get a chance to be a part of that through giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Hope you listen to the words there because there was an important word the, the pastor's wife was talking about being in church and, um, and serving. Did you, did you catch that? You know, not just sitting there, but serving. And that's really what today is about. As you look around and see tables on the sides, there are several different opportunities. And I'm sure there's one that fits both your ability and fits your, your gifting to be able to serve within the body and without the body. So just be praying. Um, don't go look at them during the service, but after the service, during the meal. Take time to do that, please stay for lunch. We've got a potluck, pot blessing lunch today as we um, enjoy fellowship together. And this is one of the rare times that we're having a meal and there's no business meeting attached to the end of it. So, and there, there are applause. Um, I get applauses from Samara and, and from, from Michelle because Michelle's the church clerk and she has to write down everything we say. Um, but we are so thankful. There's, there's other ways that you can serve. Um, Sue's going to come up here and tell us um, about an opportunity that you can um, be a part of that on April 1st. But while she's coming, let me tell you, if you have small size suitcases, um, the foster care system needs those to help children be able to carry their things as they're going to do a new home. Now, I know about, you probably, like me, have used a Walmart bag to carry clothes in it time to time. But imagining how empowering it would be for a young child walking in a new environment to be able to carry their stuff in a bag that's their own and not in a bag. And so if you look around and you have nice, you know, small-sized suitcases, you can bring them up to the church. They're going to be collecting those for the upcoming Ladies Connect on April 13th. It's a wonderful way to serve and to minister um, to those who are some of our most vulnerable in our society. So that's one way. And now Sue's going to tell us about another way that you can serve in our community. So next Saturday is the Trash Bash. It starts at 8 o'clock at Warren Park. That's across from the library. Um, <clears throat> this, I need you to sign up. I have to turn in, like, my roster by Thursday and uh, in order for us to get T-shirts. i got to turn that in, and you, can get, you get a free T-shirt. Um, it doesn't say that they need T-shirt sizes. But put your t-shirt size down anyway so that when I call in or whatever, I'm online, whatever, um, I, I can give them a t-shirt size if they ask. Um, also, a liability release for anybody 18, under 18, and you have to be there with an adult. So I know we've got a couple of youth signed up. Um, I need to have the liability release form to go with it, and I have to have that turned in, I think, when I show up Saturday morning. So, um, <clears throat> checking us in at 8. I will check everybody in. You just need to show up and be accounted for, you know, find Richard and I, but I check in. They will give us, it says, gloves and trash bags. 
Um, I'm guessing it's the latex one. If you want leather gloves, you need to bring your own. I'm going to bring a grabber, one of those little old people grabber things, because I'm not picking up anything that might have a snake in it. Under it, I am a snake magnet. I've seen snakes in February in South Carolina at night. So just stay away from me. I will be, oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm, and it's not going to be hot. It's like, the low is like 56. I've already looked. I'm wearing my snow boots. If I see a snake, it will have to get through my snow boots. Closed-toed shoes for everybody else. If you choose not to wear boots, that's your problem. And if you get bit by a snake, don't count on me. Um, but I am doing this because I love to serve as a group. It binds us together. You see my shirt? My shirt? I got it yesterday at uh, the E-Women Conference in Grandview. I volunteered to serve with my daughter's mother-in-law. Mother we called each other outlaws. We were friends first, and then our kids got married. She and I served at the compassion table. And... Um, it's just such a bonding experience. You don't want to miss out. And if you can't come do this, be praying for us because it's an excellent opportunity for us to be out in the community to be able to share Christ with somebody. If somebody asks, oh, what group are you with or what company are you with? Well, we're with Cross Timber Baptist Church, and we're here to make a difference in our community. Um, you know, and maybe we'll get to share the gospel. Maybe we'll get to invite somebody to church, whatever, um, but it will bind us together, and I love that, so sign up. Thank you, Sue, and um, just be sure and sign up if you're involved in that. Be sure and bring two cases, and I want to just say um, nice bags, big duffel top bags are welcome also that can be used, so if you want to donate those to the foster care system. I'd like us to read together this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll be starting in verse number 12. As we, we set the tone um, this morning for the, the fact that you are um, important um, to the body of Christ, that your presence here is, is needed, um, your service is called for by God, and that we um, are all important and we all need each other. And so we'll begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 12, and I'll read down through the end of the chapter. So you can just follow along in your scripture as we read together. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it would, would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, 
I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which are more pre- which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, then third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way, which if you read on, you find is the way of love. Gentlemen, will you come as we receive our offering? If you'll pray with me, please. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you again in your house worship you and your son Jesus and Lord we just want to pray that you'll send your Holy Ghost upon this congregation and bless us and Lord I pray that your words come through rush season out and Lord you have blessed blessed each and every one of us in this congregation so many times so faithfully and now it's time for us to return those blessings in the form of our tithes and offerings And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to uh, sing Psalm 121 first uh, in Hebrew and then in English. So I pray that the Lord's name will be glorified as his word is said. Motron Leka El Yanum Shomreka Ine Lo Yanum Lalo Isha Shomer Israel. I lift up my eyes unto the from whence shall come my help? My help is from the Lord. 
the moving of your foot, nor shall slumber he who keeps thee. Behold, he'll not slumber, nor will he sleep. He who keeps Israel. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. Isaiah 57, 15.
before you this morning. And Lord, your word says that we're two or more gathered together in your name. You promised you would be amongst us. And so, Father, we know that you are here. And you are almighty. And you are glorious. And you are worthy of all of our praise. And Lord, your word says that John wrote in his book, he says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, and as is refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold... I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And that is who we worship today. And we praise you, Lord, for the blood that you shed at Calvary, for the, for the price of our sins. And, Lord, may you be glorified in this place today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.
happen to have brought your Bible along, Esther chapter 9 is where you can turn and be, be ready in just a moment as we read. And let me just say, um, you sound good and you look good when you're worshiping our Savior. And it is wonderful to sing songs that, that not only uplift the name of Jesus, bring delight to our hearts as well as we 
ponder the wonderful truth of what Jesus has done for us and what he still is doing, and he truly is the anchor of our hope. This morning, as we look at the last, really, two chapters of the book of Esther, we kind of draw things to a close temporarily. We'll take a couple of weeks for Easter. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and we'll look at that pathway to the cross, focusing on the, the truth where Jesus you know, tells his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that God has a plan. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to celebrate the glory of the resurrection of the resurrected King who rules and reigns over all things. And then, Lord willing, after those two weeks, we're going to come back and visit Esther one more time and look at just some practical things that we can learn from Esther and also some connections that maybe you have drawn between some of the main characters, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, and um, and hopefully draw that to a close in a meaningful way. But this morning, I want to ask you a question. Has anybody ever been rescued? Has anybody ever been rescued? Yeah, and some of you have been rescued from very serious things. Maybe maybe you were you were drowning or maybe you were choking. Maybe it was something not as serious. Maybe you were just broken down on the side of the road or maybe you ran out of gas. And I have a, the dubious distinction of while Deborah and I were engaged, I ran out of gas twice at the same spot in front of the same house. And it just happened to be in front of one of the um, crabbier church members um, of the church that we were going to at the time. And so I took a humble walk up their driveway two times um, to get some gas, and they rescued me. But in those moments of rescue, you feel relief. There's appreciation. There's even joy because you are rescued from the situation. Why? Because somebody stepped in and they saved the day in a time of need. And when you look back and you remember those things, you remember your rescue, you, you celebrate it in your mind. Now, maybe it's not a, a party with, you know, food and a lot of people. Maybe it's just an inside celebration. And then it's a story that likely you're going to want to share with someone else. Let me just tell you what happened to me. And this morning, as we finish out the story of Esther, we're going to see how God's hand, even though sometimes we can't see it, is still working providing deliverance from death, leading to the destruction of their enemies. And we'll see how the Jews in Persia began to celebrate their rescue in a feast they call Purim. It's still celebrated today, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's a reminder of God's delivering power. And I want us to think about this main idea as we look at these verses, is that God's glorious redemption that rescues us from judgment should be celebrated with excitement and shared with urgency. Now, I want us to read, and as we've done in, in our usual pattern as we work through this, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but I want to start reading in chapter 9. We're going to read the first five verses, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 20 and read verse 20 through 26, just to give us a little bit of the idea. We'll touch on most of the verses as we look through it together. But chapter 9, verse 1, begins this way. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. 
the Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all people. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. Now skip down to verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been tur turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make, the, um, make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pure, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they call these days Purim, after the term pure. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we can worship in your name. We thank you that our sins are nailed to the cross. We thank you that you're our anchor of hope. We thank you that there's nothing that can take away our sin but the blood of Jesus. And we thank you that there is power in the blood. And while lights may go out and batteries may run down, your blood never loses its power. And so as we look at the rescue of the Jews and the starting of this feast of Purim, help us to be reminded of the great sacrifice that you made on the cross, your blood that was shed, the blood of the new covenant, the resurrection from the grave that brought salvation, and your glorious reign over all things. Help us to see who you are and who we are, and help us to line ourselves up in a way that pleases you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. saying too much and now I'm paying the price um, so last time we were there and it's two weeks ago after Bob Massey came and reminded us just about the joy that we have in the in the person of Jesus and delighting in his presence we talked about that only only God can reverse what seems to be irreversible circumstances and that through the cross Jesus secured the greatest reversal that history has ever seen that his death and resurrection unlock the power of reversal in our lives. And today we're going to look at how God provides for rescue. First for the Jews through the leadership of Mordecai and through Esther, and then for us in the person of our Lord Jesus. 
We're going to celebrate the goodness of God and of Jesus and hopefully be encouraged to share that story with urgency. But at this point in our story, right as we get to chapter 9, we know that Haman is dead, but the enemies of the Jews are still in existence. In fact, they've had nine months of planning, and they're ready. And this day that was set by the casting of some lots is coming the 13th of Adar, and we're wondering, will the enemies kill the Jews, or will the Jews, who can now defend themselves, will they rise up and triumph over their enemies? Will God come to their rescue? And so as we think about rescue, I want us to visit chapter 8 just as a review to help us to understand where we're going, and that's where the rescue is proclaimed. Now remember, Esther makes her plea before the king to ask the king, first of all, reverse this evil plan of Haman. She still has the king's favor, but we remember that you know the king's edicts, his laws can't be revoked. Once they're out there, they're out there. And so the plan that is devised is that another edict is written that would counteract that one, that would allow the Jews ultimately to defend themselves. And Esther says in verse 6 of chapter 8, how can I bear to see calamity, the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? So the king gives approval for Esther and Mordecai to write an edict on behalf of the Jews. And so since the order is out there that the Jews can be killed, annihilated, and destroyed, they write an order that basically says the opposite toward their enemies. Verse 11 and 12 of chapter 8 tell us that, that the king, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. So they were given the privilege of self-defense. And the order was written in the name of the king. It was sealed with the signet ring of the king. It was delivered out by the king's horses throughout all the provinces. And now the Jews had a chance to defend themselves. They had a chance to live. Now that should remind us, as we look forward in our Bibles to the New Testament, that you know, apart from Jesus, the one who is the Savior, everybody that has ever lived faces a, a death sentence. We're ultimately on the death row of, of life because, you know, God's righteousness and holiness demand holiness and righteousness from us. Sinless perfection and nothing less. If we break the law at even just one point, we're guilty. And we realize very quickly that's something we could never do on our own. Nobody could ever keep all of God's rules, never mess up at one point. And as a result, because we're sinners, we deserve death ought to bring a sobering reality to our minds. But in that, we have to also understand that God doesn't change His standards. Even though God loves us, He doesn't say, well, you know, let's just bend the rules a little bit. You know, Scott's not really that bad a guy, so I'm just going to draw the lines a little here so he can get in. You know, He doesn't look and say, oh, well, well, Brenda, she sure is awfully sweet and does a lot of good things. I'm going to just, you know, give her a break on this. No, God doesn't change His standards, but He makes a way for salvation through Jesus, who paid the price, the penalty of death on the cross. His blood that was shed seals the new covenant between God and man that because we have faith in Jesus, any man or woman who placed their trust in Jesus can 
be rescued from sin and death and hell. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. And so as we look at this wonderful rescue of the Jews, we are reminded constantly of how God provided a rescue for us. And could you, you know, imagine that when that decree was read, no matter if it was in Susa or way out in the farthest boondocks of the province, that what those Jewish people heard was a proclamation of rescue. There's hope. There's a chance at life. And then think about you. When you go out into your neighborhood, when you talk to your neighbor or friend, and you share the good news about Jesus, in a world that is dead, in a world that is hurting, in a world that is lost, and all of a sudden you're speaking hope into a hopeless world. All of a sudden, the the Spirit rises up in the idea that rescue is possible. Things don't have to be like this. Things can be different. And it sparks hope in hearts. It's our responsibility. We're hope peddlers. We go out there and we get to share the hope of Jesus with people all around us. And so this decree is in place. The Jews can defend themselves. They have a right to act. But we're left wondering what's going to happen next. And chapter 9 gives us this answer because hope is not only proclaimed, Hope is secured. Chapter 9 tells us that that fateful day has arrived, the 13th day of Adar. And we learn in verse 1 that the enemies of the Jews hope to gain mastery over the Jews. But the key phrase in all of verse 1 is this three words, the reverse occurred. Do you see it there in your Bible? The reverse occurred. Wouldn't that be just a wonderful headline? You open up the Susa Times... You know, and all of a sudden you read across there, the reverse occurred. The enemies are hoping to defeat the Jews, but the reverse occurs. Because verse 1 also tells us the Jews gained mastery over those who hated him. Do you want that in your life? The reverse to occur? Do you really want God to do something? Or are you just too, are you complacent or happy where you're at? He's willing. He will. So we have an enemy here that's real, an enemy that's present in the now, and it's going to act. But we see, without a doubt, that God is still powerful and God is still in control, and the victory has already been secured. So the Jews gather together all around Persia. It tells tells us in the text that they are ready to lay hands on those who intended to harm them. It's not a prayer meeting. Lay hands on means they're intending to harm, kill those around them. And that the verses tell us that no one could stand against them. Why? Because the Lord was on their side. Fear of them had fallen on all peoples because fear of the Lord for those who don't follow the Lord leads to real fear and trembling. And it tells us that the government officials, they even helped the Jews. They looked at things, they thought, okay, these people are on God's side and they're likely to win So we're going to jump on board with the Jews. Now, if the Lord had not been with them, just like Psalm 124 tells us, it would have led to destruction. Psalm 124 says if the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swallowed up alive. So if God hadn't been with them, they would have been toast. But the Lord was with them, and they were rescued. And the author 
ties the rescue of the people to this man that we come to know as Mordecai the Jew. And so in these verses we see in verse 3 and 4, there is increasing respect for Mordecai. Mordecai, this righteous Jew, is climbing in his notoriety. There's fear of Mordecai. He's great in the king's house. His fame spreads. And then you see there, for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. And as one commentator said, what took place in the palace affected the empire. That is, Mordecai raised in status to the number two in all of Susa. God used him to be a part of this hand of deliverance. Why? Because Mordecai was on God's side. He was God's man. And God had been vindicated. God vindicated Mordecai. Remember, he was destined for the gallows by Haman. And then he exalts him to this high position. And so in that portrait, we see just a glimpse, though imperfect, of the perfect man, the righteous man who was humbled, but yet God exalted so we could have salvation. And so, in a way, you see Mordecai as this type of Christ who stood there for his people and was the righteous one who held them in his hands and allowed God to use them. And because of this man, Mordecai, and because of God's favor, we see that this lineage of evil is put to an end. Look at verse 5. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. Verses like this are the dream of every 7th grade boy in Sunday school. Just get me to the great stories of the Old Testament when there's the sword slinging and the killing. But what we have to understand here is this is God dealing with his enemies. It says in verses 9 and 10 that 500 men in Susa and 10 and the ten sons of Haman were killed. Now this wasn't senseless killing. It was God dealing with his enemies. And these are hardened enemies. They've had nine months to plot and anticipate, and they're ready. And so God is passing judgment on them. And these ten sons of Haman, you know, they're all killed as well because, well, they're related to Haman. And it was customary in ancient warfare in ancient times that, you know, not only was the enemy defeated, but all of their children. Why? Because they didn't want anybody to carry the family name or the family hatred. They wanted to put an end to the enemy. And all throughout our history, enemy after enemy has rose up against God's people. And we see God, even though we don't understand the circumstances, defeat them one by one. And that throughout time, he's purposely protected a remnant of his And in these days, more and more of those people, his people, his chosen people, the Jews, are being called back home to Israel, to the promised land. And as they are being called, God is doing work through those that are evangelizing, sharing the good news to bring about um, a harvest of salvation that those that have denied the existence of the Messiah have found the truth of Messiah in the one we call Jesus and they call Yeshua. And as we look to Jesus, we find that through his cross, God defeated Satan. The enemy not just of the Jews, but of all people. 
and gained victory over sin and death. And through his death on the cross, you see the evil plans to kill him are reversed and used to bring life. And hope rises up out of the grave. And because he has given us his spirit, Jesus still works in us today powerfully to give us victory. Life is honestly just a continuous string of struggle after struggle. If you're not willing to admit that, you're at least at some point not being truthful. Because it seems like, I don't know about y'all, but you, you climb one hill and then there's another one. And you climb one hill and then there's another one. And, and, and little by little, as we trust in God, we see that He is working in us to help us to, to not only overcome, but to grow in the likeness of our Savior. And when He works and when those reversals happen, we just want to shout hallelujah, but we can't be too excited because we've got to be ready because we know something else is coming. But because Jesus is our rescuer and can be your rescuer, you can gain mastery over all of your enemies. And while those struggles come and come and come, one day there's going to be a victory that is full and complete that Michelle wrote about when we read from Revelation that the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, will come and make all things new and we will rest perfectly in Him. Amen. Now, I don't want you to miss the fact, because it's repeated several times, actually three times, that even though the Jews go in and they kill pe- people, their enemies, that the writer tells us that they laid no hands on the plunder. Now, they had right to. The king wrote it in there, right? But they didn't. Why? That plunder, the treasures of war, you know, history tells us to the victor goes the spoils. Why? Well, we have to understand that the people of God were executing God's judgment. It was God's battle. The battle belongs to the Lord, as the Bible would tell us. And in some sense, it would be what we call the holy war. They were fighting on God's side, holding to God's purposes, against His enemies. And if you're going to fight for God against His enemies, you know what you have to do? You have to follow His direction. He gives the battle plans. Sometimes they're a little bit strange marching around city walls, blasting trumpets, taking a perfectly good large army down to 300, taking heavy armor off and grabbing a piece of leather and some little rocks. But this idea of no plunder goes back to Abram. Genesis 14, you can read about it later, when Abram is fighting against the king of Sodom. The king offers him treasure. And Abraham, the Bible tells us, took nothing. And from that, a precedent was set in among the Jewish people, among the Hebrews, that they would not take the spoils of war. In fact, when they were in the promised land, it was commanded, Joshua, that things were to be devoted for destruction unless the Lord directed otherwise. You see, Achan, who breaks that rule and suffers the consequences, Followed up alive. Saul didn't follow the rules. Remember, King Agag gets to live. They hear the bleeding of sheep and they pay the consequences. And it's a testimony that God would provide. They didn't have to go out 
to gather things for themselves. God would provide. He would allow them to have the things that they need. And so in this time, he said, take no plunder. Trust in the Lord to be your provider. And so the reversal we see is that the the declaration that meant death actually led to rescue in the counteract of and it was total defeat. It wasn't like Saul. They, they did exactly what they should have done. In the Citadel, 500 on the first day, and in fact, they didn't kill all the enemies. So Esther goes back to the king. You can read about it yourself. and says, hey, can we get a second day? It's not that Esther's mean. It's not that she's vindictive. She just looks out and sees, okay, we didn't get all the enemies. We need another round to go through. So 300 more are killed. In, in Persia, which spanned about 2,000 miles during that time, geographically, 75,000 people. Two days of fighting, the enemies are defeated. And look at verse 16 of chapter 9. Because then they get relief. Now, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. So, they're rescued from destruction. They're able to rest and celebrate the victory. Which I jotted down a question, and and I do this sometimes, and I probably need to write them somewhere besides my sermon notes, because I might forget them, and maybe you want to write it down too. But how often do you stop and think about how God's rescued me? How often do I really stop and consider what God has done for me? And what I do is it gets me excited. I express myself in worship. So I want to tell other people about it. If not, why not? Because if you don't, there's something wrong. And you can look to yourself because it's you or me. And how do you celebrate your your rescue? How do you express that to the world around you? Because new life should cause celebration. And we see in the last that this rescue is not only proclaimed, secured, but it's also celebrated. Really, the, the section from verse 20 to the end is about how this feast of Purim came out. Verse 16 says it's a day of feasting and and gladness. And this phrase is repeated in verse 18 and verse 19 that two days are set aside, the 14th day and the 15th day of Adar. Why? Well, because the Jews that are in Susa fought on the 13th. Well, and they fought on the 14th. And they rested on the 15th. And the Jews of the empire fought on the 13th and rested on the 14th. So you have two days of rest. And today the Jews make that a, a two-day celebration. So why did they rest? Well, the work was complete. Why did they celebrate? Because the victory had been secured. And they celebrate this in a feast called Purim. Why? Because the lots that Haman cast were called pure. Something like dying. And then the author summarizes the story in verses 24 and 25, in case we forget, and tells us that Haman's plan, and I love this phrase, returned on his own head. And he and his sons were hanged on the gallows. And this celebration of Purim is set to be an annual event. Verse 27 tells us at the time appointed every year. Mordecai, the 
righteous Jew writes these things down that the 14th and 15th day of Adar should be the day of celebrations. Why? Because the Jews got relief from their enemies. It's there again in verse 22. And it's a day to remember and a day to celebrate. Look at verse verse 22. It's a little bit lengthy, and I apologize. I don't have it on the screen, but you can find it in your Bible. As the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned to them, for them, from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And so it's supposed to be a celebration of both food and joy. Sorrow turned to gladness. Darkness turned to light. Mourning into a holiday and a day of feasting and gladness. But also add to that is this idea of being generous. They share gifts of food with one another. We're about to do that as we share um, our meal together. But they also gave to benevolence. They give gifts to the poor, and these still do this today. And, And I think that's because once you understand grace and you receive it, what blossoms is a generous heart in you. What do I mean by that? If you think about it for a second, if you realize that the generosity of God gave us so much, His very Son, because He loved us. And if we realize if God could be that gracious to us while we were still sinners, could we ever be too generous or gracious toward others? And then verse 28 tells us that this celebration should be celebrated from generation after generation. Not only is it an annual celebration, but it is a generational celebration. It teaches. So um, we had the opportunity this year to go to a Messianic Jewish congregation for their celebration of Purim. Um, They had games and fun. They collected food for the poor. They served the kids and everybody there pizza. And then they retold the wonderful story of Esther. And oldest to youngest was there because they wanted it passed down to their children. Look at verse 28. That these days should be kept should be remembered and kept throughout what? Every generation, in every clan, province, and city. And that all that these days of Purim should never fail into disuse, fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So all this was written down by Mordecai. It was his recommendation. The Jews liked it. They accepted it. They gave it their two thumbs up. Esther gives it her approval as the queen and they deliver it out to the Jews in all the kingdoms. In chapter 10, the book ends pretty much the way that it began. Things are almost back to business as usual. King Ahasuerus is ruling in his palace. Things are still being written in the chronicles of the king, and the empire is back into full operation. There's one big difference. There's a new man in the second spot, Mordecai. Verse 2 says, Power, might, and high honor was written in the Chronicles. He was great among the Jews, popular with a multitude of brothers. Why? Because he was a righteous man who God had vindicated and exalted, who humbled himself before his God, and God used him to be a part of the deliverance of his people. 
he, he feared God. And the, the verses end telling us that he sought the welfare of his people and he spoke peace to all. Now, I'm not overly political, but boy, don't you wish our politicians would act that way? Seek the welfare of the people. Speak peace to all. Might be a good way for us to pray for our officials. Lord, give them wisdom. Lord, help them to seek the welfare of the people and speak peace when they go. But when I think about the overall story of this book of Esther, it just it, it overwhelms me at the greatness of God's love, a love that never fails. A God that always keeps promises. A God whose ways are always good, even though we don't understand them sometimes. A God whose hands are always at work, even when we can't see them. And that the same God who delivered Esther and the Jews still delivers men and women today. Because God's glorious redemption that rescues us from judgment should be celebrated with excitement and shared with urgency. Today is, I think, I couldn't think of a a more better way to finish up Esther and and then then we're getting an opportunity to enjoy a meal and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And if you look just closely, there's some common themes between the celebration of Purim and the Lord's Supper. It's God's deliverance. It's His rescue for us from, from death. In Purim, you know, Mordecai and Esther are the heroes, and they we remember and celebrate that rem- miraculous reverse of the Jews' fate. And they celebrate it every year. And when we look at the Lord's Supper, it's established by Jesus. It remembers the victory that He secured, that brought our peace, that brought our deliverance. It celebrates the reversal of our conditions, and Jesus told us that we should celebrate it until he returns. So today, because our victory is proclaimed in the gospel and it's secure in Christ, we should do two things. We should share, we should celebrate. And I think these are some ways that you can apply this as we as we get ready to close and pray. You know, and, and they're in the main statement. The first thing is celebrate with excitement. Our excitement level about our faith should be off the charts. If you're a college basketball fan, you get all excited because your team won, and my team won, and I was super excited. And But if that excitement exceeds your excitement for following Jesus, something's wrong. If your excitement for getting a tea time and playing golf is more excited than your relationship with Jesus, something's wrong. If your whatever hobby, if it's if it's sewing, knitting, crocheting, yard work, whatever you pick, if those things exceed the excitement that you have for your relationship with Jesus, we need to check ourselves. Celebrate with excitement. Put a smile on your face, joy in your heart. Put praise music on the radio. Sing glory to God. Be a little bit nutty for the kingdom. Don't be afraid to to move your arms, raise your hands. It's okay to go full mass. You don't have to just go half mass. You don't have to clap right in here. You can clap out here and you can clap big. And if you move your feet, I guarantee it's not going to keep you out of heaven. We should celebrate with excitement, with joy. But then the other part of that is if you are excited, you need to share with urgency. Share with urgency. 
could be as excited on the inside, exciting in our house, exciting in this building as we want to be. But if that excitement and that compassion for the lost doesn't drive what we do outside these doors, then we're, we're really not doing anything. We're not even really being, we're, we're certainly not being Christian, and we're not even probably being a church. No, I would go ahead and say we're not being a church. What happens in our heart should affect how we love and serve one another in this building, but it also should drive us out the door to share the good news of Jesus with a lost world. And if you're not doing it, and if we're not doing it, as honest as I can be, something's wrong. And we've got to change. They're not likely to walk in. They're just not going to do it. They might. But they're there. They're on the street corners. They're riding trains on in transit in Chicago. Um, we were riding on a train. We're going to a museum, and, and this young man sits down, and, and basically I'm telling Deborah's story, and I'm sorry, but he's, he's like the, the Indian version of our nephew, Zachary. I mean, he's my nephew made over, and, and Deborah just, just looks at him, and the guy looks back and just engages him, and basically tells him, you know, that, that Jesus loves you, and, you know, and, and he just says, what did you say? And Deborah said it again, and... And then we get off the train, and, and Deborah's like, do you want to pray right now? And, and he wanted to know again. He's like, what did you say? And Deborah you know, said, do you want to pray right now? And he said, no, but I can't. And Deborah said, well, get a book, get a Bible, and reread the book of John. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he took off because he had to be somewhere late. There's people everywhere riding trains, riding buses, walking beside us, sitting next to us that need to know. And if we don't tell them who in the world is going to celebrate with excitement not excited, get along with Jesus today and find out why, and he'll tell you. And if you're not sharing, whether you're just lazy, chicken, or don't care, ask God, and he's willing to change that too. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments to celebrate the most wonderful gift that God could ever give. Oh Lord, may it build excitement in our hearts and an urgency to share the good news of the gospel to your glory. Let me pray together. Jesus, we are humbled by your your willingness to use us and love us. Why of why did you choose twelve men to be your disciples? Why today do you choose men and women, boys and girls, to be your disciples? To follow, to carry your message out to a lost and dying world. We don't understand it, but we accept it and we believe it. We trust that it's your plan. And we thank you that you are working in us and through us, that you use us. And so God, our thoughts this morning turn toward what you've done for us at Calvary through the redemption that was secured on our behalf. And we said, Lord, out of the way so that you can work in us and through us. Lord, we ask you to break us, change us, 
reform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus, because that's what we need. And if that's what we desire, we can trust that you'll not disappoint us. Or as we focus on your word, and you give us opportunity to respond, help us to do it in a way that Jeff, do you have some music really quietly? Jeff's going to play some some music for us quietly. Um, I just ask that you would um, respond to the, the Lord as he see fit. Um, gentlemen, hold on just a second. But um, as we pray, it's an opportunity to pray, to ponder what we've talked about in this time that we've looked at this together, but also to prepare your hearts. Um, the scripture is very clear that as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, we should prepare our hearts. And just ask God, God, what do I need to confess? What do I need to... Maybe I've got something against a brother or a sister or something I'm holding in my heart that I need to make that right. Because I want to come before you clean. I want to be ready for what you would have us to do. So Jeff, as Jeff plays the music, you can sit quietly. Um, you're welcome to stand if you want. I'll be at the front if you need to pray or talk to someone. But as you, as you listen to the Lord, please respond. privilege that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus to set aside times to celebrate um, his table together, the feast that he gives us through the Lord's Supper. Jesus spoke about it in the Gospels and Paul recorded instructions for the church. You can find them in 1 Corinthians 11. 
reminding us of the words of Jesus. Where he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we invite you, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, and you would profess him as Lord, to join us in this um, time of communion together. Gentlemen, will you pass the bread? thankful that Jesus' body was broken for us. But as Jesus said, he is the bread of life, and whoever comes to him should never be hungry, and whoever believes in him should never thirst. And as we take this bread and eat this bread, help it be a reminder of your sacrifice, that your body was broken for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul continues on and tells us in verse 24 that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then verse 25, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Gentlemen, we pass the cup.
craving. The Lord Jesus said that this cup that we drink is the new covenant in his blood. He instructs us as often as we drink it to do in remembrance of him. And we do remember the blood that was spilled. The blood that not only brought us peace, but speaks a better way. The blood that sealed an eternal covenant and that blood that also cleanses, also saves and secures. Oh, we are thankful for the sacrifice of the cross, for the love of our Savior and our great God. As we drink this cup, we remember and pray in Jesus' name. us in song. I just want to read to you um, a benediction. It's from the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When the disciples and Jesus left the upper room, they sang a hymn and they departed. We're going to sing a hymn, but we're not going to completely depart because we have a meal to enjoy afterwards. But I do ask that as we, um, after we sing, um, you'll be dismissed and while we set up tables, but the gentlemen will be standing at the doors because it's, it's a tradition here at Cross Timber that we collect an offering for benevolence when we... Um, when we take the Lord's Supper. So they'll be there. If you have something to give, you can just put it in a plate. If you're available after um, service to help set up some tables, um, and then we'll enjoy our meal and continue on with our ministry together. So thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Let's stand together and let's sing.